Lost Room basically taught me that if I'm able to get kind of like this type of ROAS with these kind of ads, with this kind of audience, and you have all these variables, of course there's some you don't know, but if you have all this information that's showing you, okay, here's your input and here's the expected output, and here's this many people who have done that, you're not taking a huge risk. Hey everyone, welcome to the Launch Room Podcast. Today we have Gal Butler. He is the 17-year-old creator of the Wave Bowl. Gal, welcome to the podcast. Tell us a little bit about the Wave Bowl. What what inspired you to create it? Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me on here. I was inspired by the idea of kind of innovating the kitchen and just the kitchen experience. And I just always felt that the kitchen experience is very stressful doing dishes, loading the dishwasher. And I was kind of thinking like what aspect of that is something that I could improve and how can I make a product that could kind of improve the lives and the kitchen experiences of as many people as possible. So I have one here that the Wave Bowl is the first product of Wave, which is a company focused on kind of reimagining the kitchen experience. So the idea is that stores completely flat. So in your dishwasher, super easy to store in your cabinet. They stack just like that. And then when you want to use it as a bowl, magnetically, it kind of snaps to a bowl immediately. So the magnets also allow them to stack magnetically if you're transporting them or putting them in a cabinet so they don't rustle around and they're super easy to move around. But yeah, that's the Wave Bowl. So the Wave Bowl raised $111,000 on Kickstarter just a few months ago. Talk to me a little bit more about that experience and why you chose to go the crowdfunding route. I mean, you're 17, so I presume you're still wrapping up high school. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I am still wrapping up high school. I mean, I chose the crowdfunding route because I think it's just the most accessible community of supportive and kind of optimistic people who believe in future products and who believe in people and who believe in kind of the mission behind these products and brands that are raising money. And just in terms of accessing capital, because this community is kind of so supportive and they believe in this whole mission of creating products to improve the world, I think it's kind of one of the best ways to raise capital, especially if you don't have that much to start with. So for all those reasons, I, I think crowdfunding is pretty clearly one of the best kind of places to go for like a new company or product. Well, there's also ways to raise funding through private investors or equity crowdfunding, right? Or maybe leveraging debts. Like what were some of the considerations that went into that and how did you choose reward-based crowdfunding with Kickstarter? Yeah, so I mean, in terms of equity crowdfunding, I think that's also an amazing kind of like opportunity for companies who wanna scale. But from my experience and from what I've seen online, for companies who want to get off the ground and kind of launch their first product and just get the name out there, equity crowdfunding, I don't know if that's always the the best move. Like the companies I've seen do really well with equity crowdfunding have kind of gone from like a few hundred thousand, maybe a million sales a year, and then they kind of take off when they start um, giving away equity. And just personally, I wasn't in the position to do that at the time. So with like Kickstarter or Indiegogo, you're not giving away any equity, of course. And yeah, so I mean, yeah, that's why... I, I went with kind of Kickstarter and not equity crowdfunding. Mm. And so you decided on crowdfunding for those reasons. And then how did you run into Launchboom? That's a good question. So I was actually 
like I was like 90% sure that I was going to launch my product over a year ago and more, more than a year ago. And like, I think that's how it's kind of a common theme. Like you're super optimistic. You think you have everything lined up. Like all I need to do is a video and then, I, and then I'll launch and then everything will go with it. It'll be, and then I can just go fishing all day and I'll be fine. But what actually happens, I think for most people and like just what I've seen and what happened to me, it was kind of like right when you think you're ready to launch, one thing happens, you deal with that. And then like some one thing you have to, you have to figure out. And like, there's one last thing. And then you kind of realize the more you learn, it's like the more you learn, the more you know, the more you learn that you don't know. I just realized like, I'm not doing this right. I'm not prepared. I, I don't have the numbers right. I don't have a manufacturer set up correctly. And so I started researching like help with crowdfunding and launch room came up. So I just went on a call and, and from there, yeah, it worked out great. That's awesome. So what were some of the initial steps that you had taken when you first came up with the idea for your product and how did you realize that like was there market feedback that you got or some mishaps with a manufacturer how did you realize that you needed help because as founders and being a founder myself we're all we all tend to be a little bit more on the optimistic side right and or else we wouldn't be doing this and then that optimism carries us through all the different ups and downs and the roller coaster ride of starting a product in a business, right? So what were those milestones and pivotal points that helped you realize, hey, I, I might need a little bit more help? I think I realized I needed more help when I started looking at other companies that had done what I wanted to do. And I looked at their Kickstarter campaign, their video, their advertising, the companies they worked with. And it was very humbling because they had done all these things that I was just not there yet. So at first when I thought it was like, you have a good product, you show it to this community, and then you're good. When I looked at companies who had actually done what I was trying to do, that's when I realized like, I, I don't have any of this. And that's the, when I went looking for kind of help. And what's, what was the part of the, just walk us through a little bit more about the process that we went through together here together at launch. Yeah, sure. So we started, off, I just had a website and a campaign video that I filmed in my friend's house over the summer. And the first thing we did, I mean, the first thing I did was, it was just education. So I was looking through the, the kind of the videos that Launchroom gives you, super clear educational videos. And I was just learning, like learning the things I, I was going to need to do, things I needed to have prepared, kind of just the, the plan. So at first it was establishing a plan. And then, and then of course, I mean, setting up all the logistics with Facebook ads manager, the the funnel, kind of just learning all the the not exciting and not fun parts. And so for the first, I think like few weeks of when I started, it just it was it just boring things that I had to do. And once I had that done, I started learning about advertising and marketing on Facebook. And I mean, the people at Launchroom are just so experienced in that. So it just the amount the amount I learned in like within like a few months time frame it was just crazy and they i was able to reach out to them whenever i needed they were able to answer all my questions so i mean yeah so once i started kind of running ads the first thing i would do is ad optimization so i put a budget of i think it was under a thousand dollars just into kind of optimizing different headlines videos subheadlines, the funnel basically every variable that i could figure out would make a difference i was testing in the ad optimization phase a few weeks later I kind of had the best combination of things. So I had the best ad. And then from there, it was just scaling that ad. 
So putting a few thousand dollars more into that ad. And the goal of that ad is to gain VIPs, which I mean, I, I guess I should I explain that briefly or yeah, please go ahead. Yeah, sure. So I think this is proprietary to like launch boom system or something they have kind of brought to the crowdfunding market. Very, very smart system where instead of just launching ads when you are live on Kickstarter saying like, this is live, you can go pre-order it. You first do kind of like a pre-launch ad campaign where you're just gathering these people called VIPs. And these people basically put down a dollar to reserve a discount when you launch a Kickstarter and also to join an exclusive community. So for my example, it was a Facebook group where I would interact with them, answer questions. And I mean, the beauty of these VIPs is, first of all, you have a lot of data. So if you have a few hundred of these people, you can kind of predict like, okay, if 20, 30% of these people actually back the campaign, then I'll launch this amount. So I'm, so I'm safe. So you have kind of safe numbers to play around with and you know, okay, I need more VIPs. I'll put more money into the, into the campaign so that you don't come to the Kickstarter campaign and it's like, oh shoot, I'm on day two and I'm like 50% through my goal. How could this happen? Like you, you kind of, you're able to predict how you're going to do pretty well. And Launchroom just has a lot of case studies that they have done and they're able to help you with kind of predicting and feeling safe before we launch your campaign because of these VIPs. And another reason why they're so helpful is for the Kickstarter algorithm, which is extremely, extremely important. 50% of my funds were just from Kickstarter's audience because of Kickstarter's algorithm. And the reason these VIPs help with the algorithm is they are basically counting down the days, even weeks, and then eventually seconds until you launch your campaign. And then they back it as soon as they can. Because you tell these VIPs, here's your discount. You only have X amount of time to do it. So you have to be quick. And they're counting down the seconds. As soon as you launch, they are, I mean, they're, they're converting it to sales. And it tells the Kickstarter algorithm, like, look, this campaign is getting all the support so soon. And it just gives you a lot of momentum, which is super, super important in crowdfunding. So yeah, that was VIPs, which was Launchroom taught me about extremely successful. And I mean, I don't know if you want me to kind of go further or... Yeah, yeah. I just want to continue. Please continue. But I want to highlight a couple of the items that you mentioned there. So you raised $111,000 on Kickstarter and you're saying 50% of that came from the platform itself. But that was a result of you accumulating a sufficient list yourself prior to the launch of the campaign that allow you to get ranked and get in front of the people. Is that correct? I, I think. I mean, I, I have no way of knowing, obviously, like why the algorithm chose to promote my campaign to so many people. But from what I know about how it works, if you have a lot of momentum in the beginning, it shows the algorithm that people are interested in should promote it to more people. And I, I think that's one of like the biggest things that motivated it to kind of show it to more people. You mentioned like having a little bit more certainty, right? I also wanted to add a note to that. I feel like so much of entrepreneurship and launching your product is really just about mitigating risk right? Like a lot of people think, oh, yeah, Richard Branson, he is this huge risk taker, right? But little do people know that actually when he launched Virgin uh, Atlantic, the airline that ultimately sold to Alaska, he actually had an agreement with the airplane manufacturers for them to take back all of his airplanes if the business didn't work out. So I think, I mean, just 
that's obviously a larger and different example, but that's what any founder can take away from that story, which is along the way, how do you get a little bit more certainty, a little bit more data along the way before you expose yourself to more risk and mitigate that along the way? Because if you can mitigate your downside, everything else is upside. I mean, I think it's an interesting question, kind of how you should handle risk, because I think one of the biggest mistakes I made was waiting for the right time to act and waiting for the time where I wouldn't have risk. And anyone who's launched a product knows that you never reach that moment. You'll never be like, okay, I, I did all the numbers. I will succeed no matter what. No fear, right? And that's kind of like the enemy of productivity a lot of the time is waiting for that moment that never comes. And I know Mark, Mark, Mark talks a lot, a lot about that. You know, there's never a moment you should, the time to launch a product that he is now. But at the same time, you don't want to go into this rolling dice, of course. And there's so many successful stories to learn from and successful people that kind of are able to teach you how to mitigate risk correctly. And with the launch room system, I think it's a perfect balance between having the numbers to put you in a smart position but also kind of giving you the confidence to take the risk, which is the most important thing, is taking the risk and launching even when you don't have everything. I mean, I know that Jeff Bezos actually said something about this. I think he said, I think it's called the Jeff Bezos 70% rule, or I could be getting the number wrong, where it's basically, if you were trying to get more than 70% certainty, you're doing too much and you're going too slow. And of course, it's so easy to kind of fall into the trap of, just needing a few more things to line up correctly before you kind of know you should launch. But I think, I mean, in terms of just mitigating risk, there's a lot you could do and a lot that Launchroom helps you with. But at a certain point, you kind of just need to take the leap. But I mean, of course, that being said, I didn't feel like I was taking a huge leap when I launched because of these VIPs that I had and because of how the ads were performing. And Launchroom basically taught me that if I'm able to get kind of like this type of ROAS with these kind of ads, with this kind of audience, and you have all these variables, of course, there's some you don't know. But if you have all this information that's showing you, okay, here's your input, and here's the expected output, and here's this many people who have done that, you're not taking a huge risk necessarily. And I mean, of course, I was ambitious. I, I wanted to raise more than my exterior goal, but I was fairly certain that I would at least raise kind of the minimum amount necessary to launch a product, which I think that number is actually one of the most important numbers to figure out and prepare for. Because if you know that you're able to launch kind of the minimum amount, meaning that if you finish your campaign and you have just, just enough that you need where basically everything will just go wrong, then it gives you a lot of confidence in launching a campaign because there isn't that much that could... I guess that can go wrong in that sense. So that, I mean, that was one of my fears actually, before I was working with Launch Room, my fear was that I wouldn't get the amount of money to buy the molds for my product. And in my head, I was like, I just need to get that amount and then I'm, and then I'm fine. And it, it, it was kind of scary because I didn't, I didn't really have a sure way of predicting how am I going to get that amount. And from my perspective, if I didn't get that amount, I would have been completely screwed because I would have had kind of just enough where I had a lot of support from people. I gained a lot of trust and I gained some capital, but it would kind of have all gone to waste because I wouldn't be able to fulfill the product. I would need to either return the money or do as much as I can with it. And 
So that, I mean, that was something that was very scary that I, I would get kind of just, just below what I needed and it would all just be for nothing. So, I mean, yeah, Lodge Boom was super helpful in helping me predict how much I would raise so that I, I knew that I was reaching my minimum. That's so good. Thanks for sharing that, Gal. What is a piece of advice that you would give to people who are thinking about launching their product? I mean, it's kind of similar to what I was talking about, about risk. I think a number one thing I would tell people to do who want to launch a product is start now. I mean, it's like there's an infinite amount of things you could do before you are 100% certain that your product will work and be successful. And nine out of 10 times, you're better off just failing with this product and learning than waiting for the perfect time to launch it because that hardly ever happens. So yeah, the, the number one thing I, I would say is starting out just with the resources you have, there's a, more you could do than what you've done. And it's easy to think, I just need this and then I'll be able to kind of get there. I think use the resources you have right now and get as far as you can and take that risk. And another thing that I think is extremely important is figuring out kind of why you're launching this product and why you're doing all this. Because I mean, if you're just doing it to raise money, you're going to run into sleepless nights where you're kind of working on this product into the morning and things are going wrong. And one after another kind of things are just not working out. And you're going to ask yourself, like, why am I doing this still? Right? I'm not making money. It's been two years developing this product. I've not gotten an ounce of feedback from someone. Like at, at a certain point, you're probably going to ask yourself, why are you still doing this? And I think if you have a strong why, then it just makes you unstoppable because if you believe in what you're doing, you're not going to stop if it's not working yet because you know in your head, I'm doing this for a cause that's bigger than the struggle I'm experiencing right now. And kind of no matter what struggle I go through, the reason why I'm doing this will always trump it. So yeah, I mean, I think it's acting now and figuring out why you're doing what you're doing. That's very wise advice coming from someone of your age. Who who inspires you most, Gal? And what are movies or podcasts or books or pieces of content that's shaped the way that you, you think? That's a good question. I think the number one person who inspires me is my father. He's also an entrepreneur. And I mean, I just see how hard he works and what, he's, what he does. And I mean, it, it just shows me kind of that I'm able to do it. And if stuff I'm working out, I'm, I kind of, I see him and how he deals with problems and how he overcomes them. And I mean, just the experience he's had going through the cycles of, I mean, the cycles of every, what every business goes through. So yeah, I mean, my father's definitely my biggest inspiration in that sense. And then in terms of podcasts and stuff like that, I recently started listening to Alex Ramosi, who you're probably familiar with. So he kind of has a lot of like actionable business advice and business education. I mean, of course, the the thing he always says is most important is actually kind of doing stuff and not just listening to stuff. But I've been listening to his podcast and that's, yeah, he's, he's very smart, very accomplished. What is the next step for you? Now you've raised, you know, $111,000. You've exceeded your both public and internal goals. What are the next steps now? So actually last night I was on the launch from Instagram looking through their posts and I saw a post from Mark that kind of shifted my idea of what I should be doing next. And first I'll tell you what I thought I was going to be doing next. So 
I'm very ambitious about the future of Wave and future products that are much bigger than just dishes. And my idea was that, okay, I launched this bowl. It did great. Now I'm going to make the next product. I'll launch that. I'll be a little bigger and I'll have more capital and I'll just go bigger and bigger and bigger and I'll just keep growing and I'll chase that vision of Wave. And I was scrolling on launch from Instagram and I saw a post. I don't remember exactly what it said, but the idea was that it's basically here's what you should do after you've launched your Kickstarter campaign. And I think it was five steps and it basically said, listen to your audience, make improvements to your product. So launch accessories for it, different things that could kind of improve the product experience for the people who have backed it. And once you've done all that, so once you've listened to the feedback, added accessories, improved the product, basically the last step was like launching a new hero product. And it kind of surprised me because it makes sense. Yeah, you want to kind of your, your product's working well, improve it. And then I guess, yeah, that made sense. But I kind of had the idea that if I launched a successful product, I would be able to launch another one and then another one. And of course, that's what I want to do. But at this point, in terms of my next steps, I'm focused on improving the wave bowl. And the next product I launch, I think will most likely be a wave bowl too. And I mean, maybe a, a cup to go along with it and then different accessories like a lid and a bag and stuff like that. But the most important thing that I'm kind of focused on right now is improving the wave bowl and improving the product experience for the people who have already backed me before I'm kind of thinking of like all the future wave products. That's so good. So you're obviously still wrapping up high school. Like we talked about at the top of the podcast, what are your daily routines? Like, how do you split your time between, you know, your student responsibilities versus your business responsibilities? And what does your team currently look like? Is it still just you? Yeah, it's still, it's still just me. And in terms of my daily routine, I don't want to kind of, I mean, advertise what I do to like other students necessarily, because I mean, of course people are in different like academic and financial situations. I mean, for a few years I've been prioritizing wave over a lot of other things because I believe so strongly in it. And I knew with a hundred percent certainty that that is what I'd be working on for a very long time. So I've been much less focused on college compared to, I guess, other kids in my grade and in my school. So, I mean, in terms of daily routine, I, I kind of, I guess, focus on kind of what's next uh, with Wave. What do I need to, like, a backer is emailing me that the color didn't work or the, or the shipping option I mean, they couldn't pay. So there's like immediate kind of problems to, to resolve, and then improving the product and kind of listening to feedback and just overall work on the company. And I mean, luckily this year, 12th grade, I have much less work than I've had like previous years in high school. So last year. It was actually, it was very challenging to balance the schoolwork and maintain the company. And the daily routine was not a daily routine. It was like, today I'm doing this and tomorrow, hopefully everything works out. But this year I've had a, a lot less kind of academic pressure. So I've been able to spend a lot more time on Wave and still kind of complete schoolwork I need to do. So that's worked out pretty well. How do your parents feel about all the stuff that you're doing? Good question. My parents are very, very supportive and I'm very lucky that they are supportive and I mean, they really, they, they don't really push any specific idea onto me, which I think is very good and very healthy. But 
I think for people whose parents kind of might not be as supportive of their kind of starting business, a lot of the reason is obviously your parents are trying to help you. And if they're not supportive of your business, I'm not saying this is the case, but it's possible that you just don't have enough data and evidence that you will succeed in this. Because at the end of the day, they want you to succeed in something. And if your business has been going along for two years and you haven't generated anything from it and you don't have such a confident plan, then at a certain point, it could definitely get hard to kind of support your child in that journey. So I've, I guess, just done my best to have a very concrete plan and basically create evidence that's at a certain point undoubtable that this is what I'll be doing. This is how I'll be doing it. I've already done this. It's not unreasonable for me to do that. So, I mean, and, and that took me, that took me a very long time to get to it like, up until my Kickstarter launch. I had not generated a single dollar from my product and I'd been working on it for multiple years. And when people in school would ask me kind of like, why aren't you doing your work? What have you been doing? Oh, I have a product I'm working on. Can I see it? It's not done yet. Have you made any money? No. Like that's, it's a bad position to be in for a few years. But yeah, so kind of forgot the question, but I think I hopefully answered it. <laughs> yeah, you did. So what was the evidence that you were able to show prior to the successful crowdfunding campaign? And not just to others or your parents, right? But to yourself that gave you that certainty. You said, you know, you made a very strong statement earlier, 100% certainty that this was going to be it or this is going to work. There was two main things that I remember. The first thing that happened was just a feeling inside where I was super, super confident that this product would work. And it was hard to explain. And I remember actually trying to explain to my dad and my sister, they were in a room and I was like, I caught them so quickly. I was like, it's gotta do this, that, that. And they were like, yeah, yeah, that, that's cool. And like, I was so, so sure that it was kind of just an idea that people would appreciate and it could help people's lives. And I think most entrepreneurs can kind of relate to that feeling in the very, very beginning, when you kind of just know that it's a good idea. And at that point, I think most people don't care that much about kind of other people's feedback because it's sometimes hard to explain exactly what you believe in. It's just kind of a feeling that's, I guess, difficult to put into words. So that's kind of what has driven me from like the very beginning to work on Wave and to work on the Wave Bowl. But I remember I saw a, another Kickstarter campaign launch a few years ago and it was it's called polygons measuring spoon and it was a measuring spoon that folded flat and it was made out of rubber and plastic about this big and it would kind of fold up and magnetically become measuring spoon and i remember seeing that and it was kind of like the first product that i had seen that kind of gave me validation that people wanted some sort of kitchen product that saves space that was easy to use and my product happened to also use magnets, also use the same plastic and the same rubber, also fold in a very similar way. So that was one of the kind of the first times where I kind of saw another product that was kind of similar to mine. And that gave me just a lot of confidence that people would appreciate my product. So there must have been moments though, Gal, where you had some doubts, right? How did you overcome some of those doubts in your mind, especially when you were developing the product for two years or, uh, or several years and you're classmates or teachers are asking you, Hey, like, why, why is it, do you have any sales yet? Or, or is the product out yet? Et cetera. I think the number one thing that motivated me to keep working was the amount that I invested into this product. I was so scared that 
it would go to waste. I put almost all my money, I all, almost all my free time. I didn't go to camp a few summers. I hung out with friends a little less, and I had everything in, invested into me, I invested into this product. And I mean, when you're at kind of that point, Eric Thomas, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he kind of, he says, he has a quote where it's like, if I was going to quit, I would have quit then. And there's no chance I'm quitting now because I, I, I was, I had an opportunity to give up. I had multiple opportunities before I invested everything where I could have been like, okay, I'm not doing this. And the point where I was at in high school, a few years ago, I put everything into this product and I want to say that what motivated me, what motivated me the most was the idea of the product. And that motivated me a lot, the mission of the brand and the product, but what really kind of like, what I really feel strongly when something was going wrong was fear. And I think a lot of the times fear is necessary to motivate you. And I think it's actually hard to achieve your full potential if you don't have some sort of fear chasing you. Like people say it's easier to run faster when you're being chased by something than if you're chasing something. And I, that's just how I felt for a long time. And it's not like I was dominated by that fear, but when things would go wrong, I would definitely kind of just remember immediately, don't forget how much you put into this. It would be, it would definitely be a shame if this all went to waste. So yeah, that's a great quote. And I can't think of a better time to wrap up this uh, awesome interview with you, Gal. Uh, are there any final requests or things that you want to share with the audience? I request to the audience that they just book a call with Launchboom. And I'm not told to say this, but I really think if you just have a phone call with them, you could address most of the immediate pressing questions you have and concerns. And I think that'll just put you in a great position to kind of to dominate and, and succeed with your product. So yeah, the one thing I would say is I think people should just schedule a quick call with Launchboom and then kind of take it from there. Well, we really appreciate you saying that, Gall, and I'm glad we're able to help you learn so much so early on in your career and help you mitigate that risk along the way and and show the real potential from the markets that you always knew uh, your product had and hopefully eliminate some of those fears as well. So, But don't, don't keep running fast, man. Continue doing that and wish you the best of luck, Gal. Thanks again for your time and joining me today on the podcast. Really appreciate it. All right, thank you. If you enjoyed this, please leave a review at launchboom.com forward slash podcast or on Spotify. Every review makes a massive difference because it only allows more people to benefit from the experiences of our incredible guests. You can also sign up for a free newsletter at launchboom.com forward slash newsletter. Learn how to bring your product idea to life with crowdfunding just five minutes a week. We send one no BS email every Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening.